I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lynn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. On today's episode, Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland took some time out from his busy schedule to chat to us about farmland birds. With a biodiversity crisis declared in Ireland and many indicators of farmland biodiversity showing decline, Niall believes farmers need more support and can play a huge role in the recovery. Many farmers need to control rodents on the farm, but how do we do it without harming our barn owls and other birds of prey on the farm? Niall gives us some great advice here. And the importance of knowing what to do with a piece of land on your farm where your plan is and trying to improve biodiversity. So we started off by asking Niall, what is Birdwatch Ireland's role and what do you do in your day-to-day business? Birdwatch Ireland is a conservation charity with the largest conservation NGO, non-governmental organisation in the country. We were founded in 1968 and we're dedicated to protecting and conserving Ireland's wild birds and their habitats because our whole ethos is that you can't just protect birds in isolation uh, that won't work uh, you have to protect the whole ecosystem that they depend on all of the different plants and animals and organisms in the environment that uh, that, that the birds need and therefore the benefit uh, us human beings too including farming it's very important this whole idea of biodiversity obviously it's becoming more of a topic more people are aware of this and, and its importance to farming and importance to everybody's life here in ireland i think that very often we've taken it for granted and uh, that's a shame because it's a great value to us and that's a message we're very keen to get across in birdwatch ireland uh, i'm based in our head office which is in kilcool in county wicklow though working from home at the moment because of the covid situation uh, but we also have a network of branches across ireland run by volunteers we have 30 of those we have a network as well of nature reserves that we, we manage and look after for, for birds and for other wildlife and for people we do a lot of conservation projects especially uh, on farmland birds uh, on seabirds as well that's a real uh, a real passion of ours in birdwatch ireland too uh, we do a lot of research into things like bird migration we do a lot of policy and advocacy work education work in schools and in community groups work with a lot with local authorities with tidy town groups basically anybody who'll listen to us and, and partner with us and so we're very active and uh, we're we're um, funded through our membership we have fifteen thousand members across ireland uh, so there's a growing uh, interest in nature and in wildlife and it's been really good to see that and um, over the last year in particular I think more people than ever before have turned to to nature for, for comfort and for entertainment which has been really good to see and now personally um, my title of the title of my job in Burlachand is I'm the public relations branches and development officer so I look after uh, our membership our fundraising uh, liaising with our local members groups the branches and doing work in the media on radio and television and writing press releases and articles for newspapers and giving comments and all, all manner of things so it's, it's quite a busy and varied job one that I, I very much enjoy I have to say I get to meet a lot of very interesting people and talk to, to, to some very nice people too including yourselves. Lovely Niall um, some of our native farmland birds are under threat um, which birds would you be most worried about and what are the main issues um, affecting them would it be climate change or would it be modern farming practices or, or even a mix of both? There are many things hitting our birds at once and while we're very concerned about many groups of birds across Ireland our farmland birds in particular are in trouble uh, and I think that there is uh, there's a lesson there, a warning at least for, for all of us, um, because that's sign when you see birds declining, it's a sign something's going out of kilter with our environment because birds are at the tops of their food chains. That's one of the reasons why we focus so much energy into studying them. It's not just for the birds themselves. The fact is that they reflect changes in the deeper environment. So when you see bird populations going down or indeed going up or changing where they live, it's often a sign that something has gone wrong with their food supply or has gone wrong with the climate or gone wrong with their nesting habitat. 
It's a bit of all of those things. Uh, certainly, modernization of farming has had a dramatic impact on our, on our birds, and there's no getting away from that. Uh, the fact is, this has been not seen not just in Ireland, but all across Europe and in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, obviously, in, in areas where you have just one type of farming, a monoculture, there are less mosaics of habitats there. As, as farm fields have become bigger and hedgerows have disappeared, and trees have disappeared and woodlands, this affects very many of our bird species too, because it, it denies them nesting opportunities, but it also takes away the food that they would eat. And so uh, the, the, the insect larvae that they would feed on, the berries they would feed on, all of these. So it's, it's, there's many things happening at once. Now, I think that you know, what we have to do is to recognize that when it comes to, to farming and, and to modernization, the biodiversity on farms has a very important role to play in the viability of that farming in the, in the long term. I think that's something that's been underappreciated. I think these ecosystem services, as we call them, those values of about billions and billions of euro per year from insect pollinators uh, from, from uh, water purification, all of these kind of things that we've taken for granted. And if we had to pay for those as a society, it would cost us a fortune and we'd really treasure. But because we get it for free, I think it's not fully appreciated. And so I think that that's been, been an issue. And then, of course, things like climate change, absolutely, that's really exacerbated that. And we're seeing this in our bird return survey data. Uh, we're particularly uh, concerned about the birds that we call the trans-Saharan migrants, the migratory birds that would cross the, the, the Sahara Desert and, and, and you know, twice a year, once there and once back uh, to, to winter in southern Africa. And many of these would have been traditionally associated with farmyards and farmland. So if you think of the cuckoo, that's a perfect example. The swallow is another very good example. Those are birds that are in decline. And climate change is playing a major role in that because what's happening is the weather patterns while they're migrating, they're becoming more uncertain and they're running into bad weather and that, that really can, can be fatal for many of them. Also, the biggest obstacle they face in their lives is the Sahara Desert. They have to cross that twice a year. And because of climate change and also because of some poor agricultural practices in parts of Africa, that desert is getting wider and wider each year. And that's an extra barrier those birds have to fly across. And then, of course, they arrive back uh, in, into, into Ireland and they find a, an altered landscape. There are fewer insects around compared to what they used to be. There are fewer pristine wetlands. Uh, we can all take action that will help the birds in the long run. That's interesting, actually, because um, you kind of forget sometimes we, we often think about farming in, our, in Ireland and how, how our actions, I suppose, might cause a decline in a species or in a bird. But we kind of forget those migrational birds that they do have to come over from a different country. And we also rely on that other country to look after the time that the birds sent there. We kind of forget that sometimes. But I suppose one thing I would say to Niall is if, if you could give a farmer, like we have lots of farmers across the country, quite intensive on the, the south and southeast, as we get into the Midlands and across to the west, a little bit less more intensive, what, what would be the main tips you could give a farmer, I suppose, to restore farmland bird populations, if you could give two or three pieces of advice? Uh, certainly, and I, I should start by saying that we in Birdwatch Ireland are very much of the view that uh, farmers who want to do the right things by biodiversity deserve a lot more support for that. Uh, we think that it's very important that the state and that the European Union would properly fund the farmers who are providing these common benefits for all of our society. I think that's very important. And not just here in Ireland, as you said, with the migratory birds, the benefits, if those species are doing well, there's benefits to people throughout the whole flyways of those populations uh, of birds. So I think that's very important. I think it, it, it's something that should be seen as a great benefit to our society. So farmers definitely deserve a lot more support. And of course, if it wasn't for farmers, we wouldn't have any farmland birds at all. 
I think it's very important to, 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 to bear in mind. I think that, um, especially this time of year, one of the tips that I would give, I think it's very important that we treasure our hedgerows properly. I think that's very important. Uh, I know that uh, obviously in, in many cases, um, the, the, there's a lot of talk in the media about farm uh, farmers and, and other landowners and, and local authorities, especially cutting hedges at this time of the breeding season. And sometimes of course that is inevitable. It has to be done and hedges have to be maintained. But I think that choosing the correct time of year to do that and not being overzealous about it, that can really benefit uh, biodiversity in a big way. Uh, the pollinating insects will benefit from that. You know, the, the fact is that so many of our, our native bee species are under threat. Uh, it'll benefit the birds, it'll benefit all sorts of other small mammals, for example, uh, which would then in turn will benefit birds of prey, which in turn then help to control uh, uh, you know, things like, like crows and, and rabbits on farms as well. I think that's important. So to try um, and, and restore that ecosystem, to try and work with nature to help as best as, as, best as you can. Making sure that uh, nesting habitat for birds, particularly at this time of year, aside from just hedgerows, that's very important as well. Uh, providing nest boxes in certain areas that can really help. Providing habitat for birds like the barn owl, for example, that's one of my, my, my favorite birds of all. It's a species that uh, has been doing quite badly in parts of Ireland, but we have seen resp they respond extremely well to the provision of nest sites. Now, the barn owl is a bird that uh, any farmer would be glad to have on their land. It controls, it controls rodents and there's no downside to them whatsoever. Uh, so it, it's a shame that uh, you know, a lack of nest sites and also problems with, with, with poisoning can affect them. Uh, but uh, certainly putting up barn owl nest boxes and nest boxes for other species, and um, that's, a, that's a great benefit. There's all sorts of plans for these uh, on the Birdotron website, birdotron.ie. You can go there and can find out more about that. Uh, wild bird cover as well. That's another really important, uh, really another really important factor on many farms. Uh, we would uh, certainly urge that be done in, in a way that genuinely benefits species. And I think sometimes more thought needs to go into what species are actually present in that area or what need the most help, because it's not a one size fits all solution. I think that that's sometimes in the past that has been the tendency in some farms that you know just boxes are ticked and you know any old wild bird cover can go out there. We've even seen situations where you know wonderful scrub is being cleared, things like 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 you know, gorse and and all these other wild plants, which I know not not great for farming. But we've seen situations where they're they're being cleared uh, and then wild bird cover is being planted there. What what the state needs to do is it needs to fund farmers to retain those uh, those lands. I've seen too, there's far too much uh, emphasis put on these being being wasteland or unfarmable land. In fact, they're wonderful. They farm biodiversity, and I think we need to look at it in that way. Our farms can be produces a biodiversity uh, as well as of agricultural products. I think that's very important. Uh, and I think the, the next thing I would say as well, uh, one of the most important habitats that we have in Ireland, and it's completely underappreciated, that would be our bog lands. I think we need to do what we can to restore bogs and to prevent further destruction of the, the existing bogs that we do have. We've lost so much peatland cover. Uh, this is really like Ireland's rainforest. Uh, the biodiversity that's present in a bog, uh, it's, it's, it's world class. There's certain species that will live there and nowhere else. Uh, but also boglands are really important for things like climate change mitigation, for, for carbon sequestration. Uh, the, the figure is absolutely amazing. I think that it's only 3% of the world's land area is actually covered by peat bogs. So it's a tiny amount of habitat in global terms, but that 3% contains twice as much carbon as all of the world's forests combined. Uh, it's absolutely astonishing what they do. And so I think that uh, you know, restoring bogs as best we can where they've already been degraded and, and very importantly, preserving the bogs we have, not seeing them as waste ground or something to be fought against or something that's, that, that's useless, seeing them for really what they are and also then for how they benefit agriculture because of the biodiversity that they promote and because of the pollinating insects in particular that they support. I think we need to see uh, the effect that we're having on our environment and see how we need to work with it. That's really the only long-term um, future that we have as a species. We have to stop fighting against our environment and against 
nature, learning to work with it. And that'll be to the benefit of all of us. I think you've made some really important points there. And if you think about it, I think a lot of what you've said is very achievable, in particular on the hedgerows. And there's a lot of work being done on that already. Um, Catherine Keener, our countrywide management specialist, is doing a lot of work within Chagas and, and, and very successful and farmers are taking on board. And you mentioned something there about uh, our scrubland and some wasteland um, that farmers might have. And we, we cleaned it off sometimes. And this is a, politi- a political issue and an issue for Department Bag are very aware of it. And farmers, it's a bugbear for farmers where farmers are getting penalised for, for leaving that scrub area there on their basic payments. And that, 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 that needs to change. They need to, to look after that so that farmers can leave it there so that they don't need to change it. So that's definitely one thing. But uh, on the bog side, I have, I have a specific question for you um, as kind of related to my own farm, but it's, it's one I would come across with other farmers. So I have a field. I think I know the answer after your, your last comments. Uh, it's on the end of a fen. So it's a five acre field. So there's a fen at the end of a farm. It's quite intensive around here. It's a lot, a lot of spring barley. But at the end, there's a natural fen, lovely fen. Uh, a four acre field just above it half it's pretty dry the other half is kind of wet uh, we've three options we can drain it which i know is not a great option we don't we're not going to do that number two um we can plant a native woodland forest there or number three we can leave it as is it's becoming nice and rushed and a nice heathland so what, what would you suggest out of those three options my advice would be to, to leave it alone and leave it as it is. I think that that's, um, that's the most important thing of all. Fenland is a really threatened habitat in Ireland. It's something that we don't have enough of. Uh, and what we really need to do in Ireland is build up an ecosystem again where we have more rushes and more reed beds and more of these wetlands. Uh, native woodland, of course, is, is very important too. Um, so in areas where that is, that is um, appropriate to plant, I think that we need to do a lot more to have native tree species and broadleaf cover. That's really important. Uh, but in appropriate areas, I think you know that that fenland wouldn't have ever been a woodland, and I think it's important that uh, that that wetland habitat remains as it is. And my obviously my least preferred option would be for it to be drained. I think that would be a tragedy. I think that uh, we need to, to focus more on the really special um, bird and insect and amphibian life that live around our fenlands. The, the re uh, and all the, the botany that's there as well. I think it's really important and underappreciated. And if you know if every farm in Ireland was to have an area set aside for biodiversity that would add up to a massive acreage that could really turn the tide. We have to recognise that, uh, you know, the, the Dáil Éireann has declared a climate and biodiversity emergency, uh, recognising that this is one of the biggest threats to us as a species. Uh, but uh, actions speak louder than words, and we are not seeing farmers and landowners being properly supported to improve the situation in relation to climate and biodiversity. Uh, two issues which go hand in hand, they're inextricably linked. Uh, but it's something, you know, that, that, that is talked about, but when it comes to when push comes to shove, not enough is being done to support farmers and to help them to make those right decisions. I mean, you, you, you mentioned there obviously about the, the clearing of, of scrub there and um, for, for the recent payments, and then, and then sometimes then that same land is then used for wild bird cover. You see nest boxes put in there. That's perverse. And um, the state should be funding farmers to leave that as it is. That's absolutely vital if we're going to meet our climate and biodiversity targets, if we're going to live up to our responsibilities, uh, both to the global community now and to future generations of farmers in Ireland. I think that um, you know we're, we're robbing future generations. Um, without even fully realizing it. And I think that's really important. I think as well, you know, that we have a situation we've seen um, over, the, over the last year or so in relation to COVID, where we have this really dire um, impact on, on Ireland and on the whole world. We've been able to see how the state and the government have been able to take urgent action to address that emergency. Uh, you know, we do 
pulling out all the stops to get now to get vaccinations done, but also to provide financial support to businesses and to people who've been, who've been left unemployed by the pandemic, and quite rightly so. It just shows, though, that where this pressing emergency has happened, the state has been able to make vast sums of money available uh, instantly for this. And I know there's been problems, and that's it's not the, the, the time or the place to talk about that here. What I'm saying, though, is that we are facing an, an emergency that's arguably even greater when it comes to climate and biodiversity. And the same urgency is not being seen. The can has been kicked down the road. It's being left for future administrations to deal with. And it's a ticking time bomb that's gonna, you know, it's gonna catch up on us eventually. And we need to see urgent action to support, to support you, Cahill, in, in preserving your fenland, to support farmers and landowners all across Ireland in conserving what habitat is there for our wild birds and for our other biodiversity. I think it's so important. Yeah, now, I, I suppose the other end of it is that um, Cahill and I are both um, advisors um, working in Chagas at the moment. And we see that the farming community and the rural dwellers are planting hedges and planting trees voluntarily. Um, but also over the last 20 years, we've seen a whole um, amount you know, of environmental schemes such as LOSS and AOS and the REP scheme. Um, so there's a lot of work being done in establishing hedges and establishing biodiversity. But I suppose what we'd, the comment and what I'll take from what we, the conversation that we have here is that we, we need to do more. Yes, I, I think we do. I think we need to look at what some other European countries are doing with the same funding stream. I mean, a big part of our work has been about the greening of the cap, which is something that many other European countries are calling for. And I think this is, is really important. Uh, that money under these biodiversity strands is supposed to be there for the benefit of all the citizens of this country and of the world. And it shouldn't be seen as a, simply as an income supplement measure. There should be real benefits and deliverables from that work. And, and the, the, the farmers who are taking the biggest hit because obviously there is sacrifices that are made to promote biodiversity. They deserve to be properly compensated and awarded for that because they are benefiting all of us. Uh, we need to think of it as farming wildlife uh, rather than just farming agricultural produce. And the, will, the will is there, I'd say, Deirdre, isn't it? It's, it's, I absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think people are becoming more cognizant and more aware of the importance of biodiversity. Um, as you said, Catherine is, is making great strides in, in Chagask in um, getting that message and communicating that message message yeah. out there to the, to the, to the public. And, and we are as well as ASAP advisors um, nationally. There's some great results-based payment schemes out there as well, like the Hen yeah. Harrier Project or the Bride Project. Lots of really good ones. And I think maybe that's the kind of route that we'll be going down in the future and, and farmers like that route. Absolutely. I think the Bride Project is a perfect example of that. That shows what, what can be done. And it shows that uh, the amazing work being done by farmers uh, to, to conserve uh, at, a, at a habitat level and really therefore protecting biodiversity. One of my big bugbears is that you know, the, the media very often uh, lags behind when it comes to understanding these topics. And they're always trying to pitch farmers and conservationists against each other as though the two are diametrically opposed. Not at all. Um, in British Ireland, we have a huge number of members who are farmers. We have farmers contacts all the time for advice and for assistance. Uh, we're, we're farmers ourselves. Our nature reserves, many of them are actually farmed. We have stock on there. We, you know, we run them as farms. I think that's really important to bear in mind. Uh, we, we are all working together on this. I think it's, it's actually the media and the public attitude that needs to catch up. I think that's the important part. That's true. Um, the cuckoo. Yes. Okay, it usually arrives here in April. Um, over the last few years, I suppose me as a child, I used to hear her and his call. Yes. You no. Know, um, every year, what can we do now? Um, to attract and retra- retain um the, you know the bird population as we're hearing these calls less and less over the years. 
Yes, uh, the, the cuckoo is one of my favorite birds, but it's sadly one that I don't get to hear too much. Uh, you know, the, I live in Wicklow and we do have them in the Wicklow Mountains. So I'm hoping in the next few weeks, now that the, the restrictions have been lifted slightly, I can travel beyond the 5K. Hopefully I get to hear some. Uh, but it's something we monitor across Ireland. We have a project called Spring Alive, a lovely website, springalive.net. It's a project that's run not just here in Ireland, but all across um, Europe, Central Asia and Africa, for and over 40 countries, where people monitor cuckoos and also other common migrants like swift swallows and sand martins. And from that, we've seen that uh, cuckoos are certainly declining, not just in Ireland, but all across their flyways. And there are certainly things that we can do here in Ireland for them, but also there's an international element that's affecting them as well. So maybe I can explain a few things that are hurting the cuckoos at the moment, and then it will help us to address the problem. So the cuckoos are one of these trans-Saharan migrants that I mentioned before. They fly across the Sahara Desert, spend the winter in Central and Southern Africa. We don't know too much about their migratory routes, actually. Uh, some of them seem to, to be very site faithful in Africa. Some tend to wander around a lot more. We're only really learning this now. Uh, it's very hard to track them outside of Europe. But um, what we are finding is that this bird, of course, is impacted by climate change. They have to fly across the Sahara Desert. They're quite a big bird. They, for those who haven't seen them or are familiar with them, they look a bit like a hawk, very long pointed wings. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, it's a chore for them. Fewer and fewer survive that migration. So that's part of it. Obviously, when they do arrive here in Ireland, uh, famously, they don't make their own nests. They lay their eggs in the nests of other birds. And in Ireland, their main host species is a bird called the meadow pippin. Now, the meadow pipit is still a widespread species in Ireland, very much associated with farmlands, a bird of farms and bogs and, and uh, very widespread. That species now has declined so much that it's on the endangered list. And when I was a child, I could not have believed that, that could ever happen. It just used to be so common. Um, for those who don't know it, it's a small bird. It's related to the wagtails. It looks like a wagtail wearing a thrush costume, got a long tail and speckled chest. Uh, and um, there's other species that they, they will use. Um, there's a bird called the dunnock, quite a common garden bird, but also one that's been declining, particularly in farmland. Uh, they're, they're a real hedgerow specialist. They love scrub and brambles as well. They're declining. And obviously, as those birds decline, uh, that means there are fewer opportunities for the cuckoos to find their nest to put their eggs into. So when we see declining cuckoos, it normally would show that there's been a decline in their host species as well. That's often the first way you would notice it. There's also been a problem with the cuckoo's food source. The cuckoos have a fairly unique diet. They eat those hairy molly caterpillars, you know, the, big, the big ones with those irritating hairs on them. Most, uh, most creatures, including most birds, won't touch those because uh, as anyone, any human has had the misfortune of touching one will know, those hairs are real irritant. They cause a rash uh, and they're quite painful. So most birds can't eat them, uh, but the cuckoos can. It seems that their digestive system is specially adapted so that they can swallow these without any problem. And those are the caterpillars uh, mainly of, of moth species, particularly a species called the fox moth. There are a few other very hairy moth caterpillars as well. They've declined drastically as well. And that's because of hedgerow destruction. It's because of uh, drainage of wetlands, because of all of these different things. And that, again, is being reflected in the changes in the cuckoo population. So it's really about biodiversity level um, protections for the cuckoo. We need to do what we can to try and maintain the habitat we have to restore the, what, was, what has been lost so that we're promoting the moths so that there are caterpillars there for the birds. We're promoting the meadow pipits and the dunnocks so that the cuckoos have places to lay their eggs. And also by tackling climate change and making sure that you know, we're playing our part internationally, this is helping to some degree at least to lessen the impacts of the things like the, the, the desertification of Africa and, and the problems of finding them with the uncertain weather patterns. But as you can hear from what I've said there, it, it, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a lot against that going against that bird. So it is hard. Um, it is, yeah, yeah. Is. And eagles, I suppose, again, are a very highly valued species and their populations have been dwindling since the 1800s. I'm wondering why has this happened and what are we doing or are you doing um, to restore um, the population in terms of, say, recolonization? Or are we looking abroad now um, to bolster the population of the eagles? 
well, when it comes to birds of prey, they have a very important role to play in our ecosystem and a very important role to play around farms as well. I think that birds of prey have long been viewed with suspicion, but that has very much changed in the last few decades. Uh, there's a lot of farmers now who are so proud to have birds of prey on their, on their farms. Uh, the eagles themselves, and um, we have two species in Ireland, the golden eagle and the white-tailed eagle, they're still very scarce birds. They actually both went extinct in Ireland, but were then reintroduced um, thanks to National Parks and Wildlife Service and, and an excellent organization called the Golden Eagle Trust. Uh, they golden eagles were reintroduced back into Glenvey National Park in County Donegal. They haven't really spread too far from there. It's a very uh, a bird of real upland wilderness. They like to avoid people and they tend to stay up there. So they haven't really spread too much. The white-tailed eagle, which is actually an even larger bird, um, it's a bird uh, that uh, eats a wide diet, but they particularly like to be around uh, wetlands and, and rivers and, and, and lakes and by the sea. They feed on fish mainly. And they were reintroduced and in the last few years as well. They're doing a bit better. They're starting to spread as well uh, through some of the, especially the Shannon waterway system through the lakes of Killarney as well. And uh, they were, they came from abroad. So, so the, uh, the white-tailed eagles, um, they were uh, given as a gift to Ireland by the people of Norway. And uh, then golden eagles came from other locations such as Scotland. They came across with taking these youngsters to Ireland. Um, the odds have been stacked against these birds. Um, most people have, you know, are very well disposed towards them, but they have been in some cases persecuted still, unfortunately, which is the reason they went extinct in the first place and they were shot and poisoned out of existence, uh, which is very sad because they're a huge benefit to our landscape. Uh, and unfortunately, it's still just take, it just takes one idiot uh, with some illegal poison to actually wipe out a whole population of these birds. So even if 99.99% of people are behind them, it just takes the one person and can ruin it for everybody else. Um, so that's been an issue for, for those birds in particular. But having said that, the persecution is nowhere near where it used to be. Uh, I think that that's, that's important to point out. Uh, the poison can happen in two ways. Uh, one is you know, deliberately people targeting these birds for, for some reason. Uh, the other is inadvertently, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're victims of poison left out for other species. So um, unfortunately the practice still goes on of putting out poisoned meat bait to kill crows and to kill foxes, which, which I must stress is illegal and um, to use any kind of poisoned meat. And that obviously you can't choose what uh, scavenger is going to feed on those, and that, that's an issue. In terms of other birds of prey, um, we've had some big success stories as well. One that I'm sure that a lot of the listeners will have been aware of is a bird called the buzzard, uh, an eagle-like bird. Not as big as an eagle, but still the biggest bird of prey that most people would encounter now in most of Ireland. And I'm glad to say that that has gone from strength to strength. That has recovered naturally. It wasn't reintroduced by people. It, it spread back into Ireland, uh, probably from Scotland and maybe from Wales as well, and is doing really quite well. So here where I am in Wicklow, I see them on a daily basis over my back garden. Um, and, and they're, 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 so Ulster and Leinster have been their strongholds over the last few decades, but they are now breeding in all 32 counties and they're, they're, they're doing quite well. There are still unfortunate incidents where these birds are shot and they're, and they're poisoned. Uh, there was a terrible incident um, uh, last year in near Timaleague in County Cork, uh, where I think it was 23 buzzards were found, uh, were found dead. Um, and uh, the farmer on whose land they were found, he was horrified by this. He's the person who reported them. And we, we don't know who, who did this, but he, he was absolutely disgusted by it. Uh, um, and, and that's a real problem when you see these, this happening because there needs to be a change in attitude. Um, obviously in the past, in less enlightened times, people were worried about these big birds of prey on their farms, wondering, worried that they would take livestock or they might even be a threat to people. Just to people's minds at rest about this, 
the buzzard um it's a big bird it's actually a very light bird they don't weigh they weigh less than a kilogram they're they're, they're not a, they're not a heavy bird they're not, they're not as powerful as they might look they are absolutely nothing but a benefit on farmland because their favorite foods are they love rats they love rabbits and they love young crows that's what they like to eat and one of the reasons why we have such a, a high density population density of crows here in ireland of several different species hooded crows or gray crow uh, jackdaws rooks and magpies uh, it's higher density than in most other european countries including in britain it's because we're lacking the birds of prey that prey on them but then more importantly outcompete them in the environment uh, because birds like buzzards are scavengers and they will clean up things like roadkill they, they will feed on dead and stillborn lambs just to stress they're not capable of killing a lamb uh, but they you know, they're scavengers and they will sometimes take that food if they find it uh, in the absence of them for much of ireland what happens is we have crows filling that vacuum and they can affect uh, they can affect livestock in a way that birds of prey don't. So that's something that we need to bear in mind by redressing these national ba natural balances and seeing the buzzards and other birds like the red kite, another bird which has been reintroduced into Ireland. If we see them as our natural allies, and um, that's the future for, for for farming, I think it's important to have these birds in. And it's a real privilege to see them too, and, and a compliment because if if on your farm if you see a healthy bird of prey population. It's a sign you have a healthy environment because it, it shows that the, the prey species there to support them are there in abundance too. So you're doing something right. And um, so the, the, the tide is turning. I'm really glad to say on that. And the message is getting through slowly but surely. I'm delighted to hear about the buzzards because I'm down here in Wexford and we they're every day you'd hear you'd see three, four, five of them out soaring really high up in the sky. And uh, I don't know, even inside the house, you can hear their very distinctive call. You know them from anywhere, from miles away. Um, the one thing I, I'd often actually sit out and watch them for ages because I, I, I think they look really brilliant in the sky. But have you ever seen them dive? Do they, do they dive? I've never seen one dive for food. I see them diving down, but I've never seen one actually attacking anything. I've seen, I've seen a buzzard catch a rabbit all right. Um, uh, actually, um, just in a field near a beach um, in Kilkul in Wicklow. Um, uh, I saw that a few months ago. Uh, it's a big rabbit population down there, sort of tracks the buzzards in. And uh, yeah, they sort of do it sort of stealthily. They sort of sneak up behind them, they sort of stoop down quite low. It was actually quite a shallow dive, just that the rabbit didn't see it coming. Uh, the, probably the most impressive bird of all when it comes to dive prey would be the peregrine falcon which is the fastest animal on the planet and they dive after after other birds and uh, they they plummet out of the sky at speeds of up to 300 kilometers an hour or more uh, and catch their prey that way so uh, very impressive birds but yes um birds of prey you know that they, they um they they are still quite scarce and actually seeing one hunting it's always an absolute privilege uh, not not to be taken for granted uh, so yeah certainly uh, keep your eyes peeled and hopefully you'll see some some more buzzard activity it's really been, has been great to see them um, coming back in big numbers having been almost extinct in ireland and, and that call you mentioned that i love it at this time of year you heard a lot too as they're circling the sky it sounds to me like like sort of a cat mewing in the distance it's yeah. really distinctive yeah and you mentioned um poison there a second ago that 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 i suppose birds of prey can can die from maybe poison be put into other whatever traps or whatever but uh, rat poison on farms, right? I, I, look, I, I, I just talk about my own area, but any, any farm, we carry um, grains on the farm for feed stuffs. So we can have lots of rats around if we're not careful to control the population of rats. So it is common to put rat poison out, um, not just in, in farms, but in towns and villages and lots of workspaces. But um, you mentioned the barn owl as well. And the barn owls are one of my favorite birds, or if not the favorite. I often talk to deers about them. I love them. We have we have a couple on the farm here, and uh, occasionally, if I think there's a rat population, I'm torn. Do I put poison out or not? Can, can the barn owl be affected by rat poison, even if I control it in boxes, or should I use alternate methods of of controlling rats? Well. To answer your question, yes, unfortunately, barn owls can be affected by it and are affected by it quite badly. 
uh, of course, I fully recognise that control of rodents is absolutely essential in, in farms and in other areas as well, and that it has to be done. I think it's about doing it in the most responsible way possible. So we in Birdwatch Ireland, we're members of a, of a group, a consortium called Campaign for Responsible Rodenticide Use. The website is CRRU.ie. And that gives tips there on and advice and recommendations uh, on how to, 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 to use rodenticides in a controlled way that will minimise, hopefully, their impact on, on predator species and on a wider biodiversity. To give an example of the barn owl, um, which my colleague John Lusby, uh, who is our barn owl conservation expert in Broadway Journal, he's done a lot of work on them. And he's found that, um, yes, what, what happens is barn owls are feeding on poisoned rats and mice, and this poison builds up in their own systems. Uh, but what's happening then as well is that this, is this isn't just killing them outright, it's also making them less fit. So uh, when it comes to feeding their own chicks, they're less well able to find enough food to keep you know, maximum number alive and their lifespan was shortened as well. But also what he's found out is by analyzing the carcasses of barn owls that have been found in various places, especially along the sides of roads, he's found out that the barn owls that are killed along the sides of roads are more likely to have significant concentrations of rodenticides in their systems. And it seems what's happening is they're feeling poorly because of this poison, the effect of the poison on them. It's not enough to kill them, but it is enough to make them, uh, make them uh, weak. And so what they're doing is they're taking the easy option of hunting along the sides of motorways where there's car lights and there's grass verges where it's easier to find mice. Uh, but in doing that, they're much more likely to be hit by cars and by other vehicles. So the poison is indirectly killing them in that way. Uh, we've seen um, uh, another uh, very similar decline in a, in, a, in a once very widespread species called the kestrel. Another bird of prey, it's our commonest member of the falcon family. And I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with seeing them hovering. They're very good at just hovering in one space over a field or over a roadside verge. And they also are being affected by, by rodenticides and in a similar way. And that species has declined so much now that it's on the endangered list in Ireland, which is, is, is really very sad. And we know that rodenticides in particular are playing a major role here because if we look at some species of bird of prey that don't feed on rodents, and um, so for example, uh, the, the sparrowhawk, a very common bird of prey in Ireland, it feeds on small birds. Therefore, it's not being exposed to these environmental poisons to any meaningful degree. And therefore it's doing well. And the species isn't declining at all. It's, it's doing excellently. We also know with the barn owl, that their real stronghold in Ireland is in parts of Munster. So parts of Cork and um, parts of Kerry and uh, also parts of Limerick and, and, and in Tipperary as well. That's sort of the real cluster where, where, where barn owls have their highest population density. It's no coincidence. That's also the region of Ireland in which we have the bank vole, which is a species that isn't native to Ireland. It seems to have been introduced uh, a long time ago now as part of the building materials for the Ardna Crusha hydroelectric station. Uh, this this, this uh, vole species came into Ireland. It hasn't really spread. It's spreading slowly but surely, but still very much a monster speciality. Uh, and that species, it feeds on seeds and roots and things. It does not eat rat poison. So when it's present, it's the preferred food of the barn owls, and they're eating more barn owls and less rats. And, or sorry, they're eating more. The barn, excuse me, the barn owls are eating uh, eating more of these bank voles. They're eating fewer rats and mice, and therefore the poison isn't impacting them as much. So we do have evidence of this happening. Um, so yes, it, 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 I know that, and I fully recognise and I appreciate that, that that sometimes rodenticides are an essential tool on farms. Absolutely, I think it's it's about minimising their impact and using them responsibly. So the main message is rather than completely getting rid of rat poison, if we just more targeted and not just lash it out, be, a little, be, be more careful trying to reduce the amount of use just only to when we need it. You have yes, to buy a cat. <laughs> you have to buy yourself a cat, call. A, a lion, possibly, at times. But, <laughs> but, yeah, and and look, to say as well, that obviously, by, by encouraging birds of prey, such as kestrels and, and buzzards and barn owls and long-eared owls around a farm, uh, that will have a natural effect at reducing the, those rodent populations. I'm not going to pretend that it's going to completely eliminate yeah. the problem overnight, but it will have an impact. 
yeah no no i I, th- I think it's important that that people are aware of the issue number one and and what can happen and look it, it's it's like everything that we talk about nitrogen phosphorus all the other things in agriculture it's just more uh, i suppose concentrated use of products and trying to reduce the amount we use in target i suppose um, and try and eradicate it if possible as much as possible um, just I suppose finish off Niall the last real big question we have you mentioned uh, bogs earlier on and rewetting of bogs and lots of our endangered species even the migratory ones that come I think like the, the curlews and that kind of stuff they, they like those wetlands um, we, you're talked about carbon as well so there's a big thing where we're, we're talking about rewetting a lot of our midland bogs is that going to increase or have an impact on bird populations and species recovery in the future? Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's certainly very much to be welcomed. I think that you know, we need to recognize that when we're talking about rewetting depleted bogs, it's not the same as a restoration because when a bog has been, has been completely destroyed or cut away or whatever, um, it's, it's wrecked. Um, that it'll take 10,000 years for that to actually regenerate itself properly. Having said so, preserving the bogs we, we currently have in good condition, that's the most important thing of all. But then re-wetting, uh, re-wetting bogs um, in areas that, that can help to restore them if they haven't been badly damaged, um, but also then creating wetlands from them, that the ones that have been heavily depleted, like the, the Lock Border Parklands is a great example of this, whereby a completely different type of habitat has been created to what was there previously, um, but it has had great benefit for a wide range of wildlife. That's the only place in Ireland now where you still find grey partridges, for example. It's very good for birds like hen harriers in the winter. And the curlews in the area, so that, that's really good. So I think I think that um, yes, where we can where we can rewet bogs and to, to try and get them to be back as natural as possible and to recreate habitats for wildlife and you know for, for wintering ducks and waders and all of these as well. I think that's certainly a very good thing to do. Would have been obviously the the, the best option of all would have been if they'd never been damaged in the first place, but obviously that ship has sailed, uh, and we need to make the best of them that we can. And certainly from the point of view of rewetting the bogs, the from the climate change point of view, the amount of carbon that they will store as a result of that is uh, really significant. So for that alone, I think it's a really important reason to do it. And um, so certainly, yeah, rewetting of bogs will have a big impact on birds and other populations of wildlife because it's, it is providing more food for them. It's more, more nesting habitat, more wintering habitat. So certainly that is certainly very much encouraged. Great, Niall. Really interesting conversation. I actually could have stayed talking to you for another hour, but unfortunately we, we have to cut it short. But thank you so much uh, and we'll talk, chat to you again. Thank you, Niall. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Um, thank you very much indeed. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lynn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, Signpost to Farm Sustainability.